0: Well, we are in week five of our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Last week, Paul challenged the church, he challenged us uh, to unity and growing together as a body of Christ to mature in, in our love for Him. And verses 17 through 19, Paul begins by giving us some practical instructions for living the Christian life, and he begins with our thought life. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality So as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full, Paul writes, of greed. Pretty strong language, don't you think? He says, I insist (laughs) that you stop living the old way of life. And it's not just Paul saying this. He lets uh, the church at Ephesus know the Lord feels the same way. And so it seems that the the Christians in this church were, were struggling with living out their faith. And I think that can be a good thing. It can be good for us to know that, that, that Christians throughout the centuries have struggled with the same thing. Sometimes we are tempted to think that we're the only ones that struggle and that every other Christian has this all figured out. But it's, it's simply not true. Uh, we all struggle. And then he tells them that what they need is a lifestyle change. He says it's really dangerous uh, this, that their kind of thinking is futile that it's dark, uh, that there is no happiness in this kind of life, that there is no fulfillment um, in it. And then he says what causes the dark thinking. It's the end of verse 18. He says their ignorance is due to the hardening of their heart. And it's not just a hard heart. It's a hardened And so it indicates a a stubbornness, a a resistance to the things of God. There had been opportunities to change, and and they didn't change. There were uh, repeated choices that were not of God. And they may have seemed innocent, uh, but they have rubbed against the heart in such a way that it is now calloused. And in the callousness of that heart, there is no spiritual blood that's, that's going up to the brain. So, it's beginning to darken. It's beginning to harden. They have lost sensitivity towards God and others. And so clearly, Paul is making the case that the battle starts up here, that it is in our thought life. And I struggle with that too. Uh, I've shared with you before, I have this tendency towards perfectionism. And those of us who tend towards that, we have bad thoughts about other people who don't reach our high standards. And uh, let me give you an example of how that kind of gets worked out in me. And it's mostly in my driving. So as I drive (laughs) to and from work, I have a tendency to critique everybody's driving. I will criticize you if you're going too fast. I will criticize you if you're going too slow. I will criticize you if you don't Use your turn signal, which is pretty much 90% of the drivers now in Hamilton County. Nobody uses it anymore, have you noticed? I began to wonder, have they just taken that off? Is is there not, cars don't come with turn signals anymore? I will criticize you if you wait too long at the green light, give you a little beep to get you going. I will criticize you if you run through the red light, which a lot of people do as well. And it starts off kind of harmless. But if I'm not careful, by the time I get to to work, by the time I get home, if I'm not careful, I am angry at all the dumb drivers. And so I, I keep my windows rolled up so they don't hear the ragings of the lunatic pastor. It becomes dangerous. Here's the thing about perfectionists, though, is... We don't reach our own high standards. Uh, We're very critical of ourselves. I criticize myself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, We're always trying to reach perfection, you see, and so it makes it hard to relax. It it makes it hard to have fun. And so while I'm calling all of the other drivers idiots, (laughs) I'm also calling myself an idiot. And there's a word for that. It's called self-talk. A cognitive behavioral therapy calls it cognitive distortions. It's a fancier word for the same thing. And the thing is, it's normal, and a lot of us do it. But if I am not careful, my self-talk can become brutal. I can take one little mistake that I made or or one comment that somebody makes to me and it can lead me into this downward spiral until I am telling myself that I am the biggest failure in the history of the universe. And I believe it. And it can damage my relationships and it causes depression. Now some believe that negative thoughts flow from depression. But modern psychology has actually discovered that the opposite is true, that depression flows from our negative thinking. And so if you can change the way you think, you can change the way you feel. You may not be able to control your feelings, but you can control your thoughts. This can be enormous. I believe there's another level to our negative thinking that can be dangerous to our spiritual life. And Paul names it in verse 27. He says, don't give this, don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give the devil a foothold into your thinking. First Peter says the same thing. He says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so what we know about, about evil is that the primary weapon is deception. And that he gets us to to err without any suspicion that what we are thinking and doing are not right. That he has wisdom and cunning above all humans. That he can corrupt and blind our reason. That he plays on our pride. He plays on our addictions. He plays on our stupidities and our temperamental flaws to induce us into all kinds of mental and moral follies, fantasies and and unbelief and misbelief and dishonesty and infidelity and exploitation and everything else that degrades and dehumanizes God's creation. And he has a plan for your life and it is consistent with his name, destroyer. And he will do whatever it takes to get a foothold into your life, into your family, into your work, and into the church. So what I want us to all see is that we're in this spiritual battle with a real enemy who has come to kill and to steal and destroy us. And the biggest way evil does that is by feeding us lies. In the Gospel of John, it says this. When he lie, Jesus says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's what he does. And sometimes I am tempted to believe those lies, and I guess that you would too. Lies about myself and lies about others. And the biggest lie that I am tempted to believe is that this is the way that it is. That I cannot change. And maybe you feel that way. Well, Paul gives us some good news and it is that things can be different. Verse 20 and 22, he says this. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth, that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So Paul's saying we can change, that that we can be different, that we can put off the old way of life. And then he names some of those things that need to go. He names falsehood and anger and stealing unwholesome talk and, and bitterness and rage. I struggle with some of those and then he says to put on the new self verse 23 through 24 he says but be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self that's created to be like god oh we can be like god in true righteousness and holiness so where does the change begin folks it begins up here, doesn't it? It begins in our thinking, in our minds, in our attitudes. Paul says essentially the same thing in Romans 12. He says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same, what? Mindset as Christ. Now, several months ago, I read that verse. And it was like somebody had shined a spotlight on it. Does that ever happen to you? You, you? You've read a Bible verse a million times, and then on that million and one time, suddenly it's like, aha! Well, I, I don't remember that. I, I don't remember ever seeing that before. Personally, I think it's kind of the Holy Spirit illuminating that. <laughs> Listen to the promise. I can have the same mindset as Christ. I can have a new attitude. I, can, I have a renewed mind. And If Paul is right, then sign me up. And, and this has become my prayer every day since. Lord, give me the mind of Christ. Imagine how much different it could be. But what I'm finding is that it's not as simple as I thought it would be. I thought I would just pray that prayer once and voila. And, wow. <laughs> Everything's different. But the truth is that there are some things that, that I need to do. Now, this may sound a little contradictory because just a couple weeks ago, didn't we just say it was all by grace, right? There was nothing we could do to earn it. There was nothing that we do to, to deserve it. That It's just a gift. But at the same time, Paul goes on to tell us there's some things that we need to do. And in verse 24, he says that He says, put on the new self. So I have to do something. I have to, I have to put something on. And I think the first thing that I need to do, the first thing I need to put on is to respond to that free gift of grace with faith. I need To have faith to believe it. I need to believe that I can have the mindset of Christ, that I can have the attitude of Jesus, that I don't have to stay the same, that sin has lost its power over me, that God can heal my brokenness, that I can put on this new self that's created in Christ Jesus. And then I need to begin to break free from the old patterns, my old sinful behaviors. And I was curious on on how others do that, and 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 so I a couple weeks ago I got on Facebook and I asked all my Facebook friends how how do you deal with that? How do you how do you stop the lies? How do you stop the negative uh, thinking, the cognitive distortions? I got a bunch of great answers. Uh, one of the ones that I was taught years and years ago by one of my spiritual mentors was to just treat those things like a mosquito that's buzzing around your ear. And how do you do that? When a mosquito's buzzing around, you just, right? Get out, get away, get away. You swat it away. Now, the only problem with that is people look at you and they think, what in the world is going on? He's got something there with his hand. Somebody else said that the technique they use is simply shout, stop! Again, that's a good technique, and and, and it works. On trouble is, again, innocent bystanders, you know, what are they thinking when you're yelling, stop, (laughs) attracts unwarranted attention. Another person uh, says she uses the Jesus prayer found in in Mark chapter 10. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, and I've used that lots of times. It's a great prayer. Another friend said that um, they found that journaling, that, that writing down those things helps them the most. But I think the best idea was from a a pastor friend of mine who says that what she does is she numbs her brain by watching Netflix all day long. (laughs) Never tried that technique. Don't know if it works or not, but anyhow, it works for her. I think all of these things can be good and, and helpful, but here's what I've discovered is it comes back. It's a negative. It's a temporary fix that i'm only repressing it just pushing it back down deeper. And so what i've learned to do is the first thing is simply to acknowledge it. To acknowledge it before God and and to acknowledge it with somebody that i trust, somebody that i love. God, i'm having that negative thought again. I'm thinking badly about so and so. Lord, i'm 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 feeling i'm falling prey to that lie that i'm a failure. Or God, I'm getting angry at idiot drivers again. <laughs> and once I've acknowledged it, then I'm free to do some, some repenting. And I think repenting is always a good place to start. The Greek word for repentance literally means just to turn around. So it's like, like you're driving down the wrong way on a road and suddenly you realize that and you turn 180 degrees and you, you start going the other way. So it's not just about saying, I- I'm sorry. It's, it's really about making a life change. It's, it's turning away from the direction I'm going and, and heading towards, towards God. And it's agreeing with God that, that, we've not be, that we've been believing the lie. And not only that, but that we've, that we've lost our, our belief in God's truth. And so in that time of repentance, I just need to come clean. I need to ask forgiveness for my unbelief in God's promises about who I am, about who God is, about His plans for for our lives and His truth about my future. Now, if you're like me, maybe you worry that, you know, I've repented a million times. I'm sure God is tired of it. And I feel that way sometimes too. God, here I am again, repenting for the millionth time. And then I remember Jesus, uh, when when Peter came to him one day, and he's trying to figure out just how oftentimes he had to offer forgiveness. And he said, Jesus, if somebody offends me, how, how many times do you think I should forgive them? Seven seems about right. Would you agree with that about seven times? And remember Jesus' response? No, Peter, not seven times, but like what? Seven times, 70 times, 70 times. Yeah. God doesn't get tired of it. God loves us. God forgives us no matter how many times we need to go to him. And then the next, next thing that I do is, is, is to ask God to fill me afresh with him, with his presence, with his Holy Spirit. Because I think whenever you take something away, you need to replace it with something else or you leave this, this void there. I think that can leave the door open for the enemy to try to fill it with something else. Jesus says in Matthew 12, he said, When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through in arid places, seeking rest, and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds a house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. And then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. And they go in and they live there. And he concludes by saying the final condition of that person is worse than the first. And so to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus means to be filled with the same power that filled Jesus, which was the Holy Spirit. You know, everything Jesus did, uh, he did by the power uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And that role of the Holy Spirit is to speak God's truth to you on a regular basis, that that you are love, that you are my child, that that I am with you, that you're not alone. And then to to fill up our mind with with God's Word. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? What's it say? Think, say it with me, think about these things. You see the power in that? Paul is encouraging us to replace uh, the lies that we believe with God's truth. A lot of the responses that I, I got on Facebook talked about the power of Scripture the important role that it plays in, in dealing with our wrong thinking. And Jesus did the very same thing during his, his 40 uh, days in the wilderness. Every time the devil tempted him, he countered with Scripture over and over again. And so I've memorized some Scriptures that, that I use on occasions. I spend time daily reading uh, my Bible uh, on my Bible reading plan or on my Bible app. So that's what's in my mind on a daily basis. That's so important for me. And then there's one more thing that we have to do if we're speaking spiritual renewal. We need to pursue it together. And honestly, I don't give you much of a chance of being successful if you try to do it all by yourself. I think the reason that a lot of us get stuck is because we don't have the kind of in-depth relationships that it takes to really go deep with the Lord See, I I think that spiritual transformation, I think the spiritual life really is a team sport. And that transformation is best done together. And that's why we believe in the importance of small groups here. But this past year, we've started forming um, what we call bands. Uh, They're groups of three or four or five people. And in three months, we've started uh, 17 or, or more of these, of these groups. And, and what we've discovered is that people are hungry for this kind of discipleship. And so once a week, these bands get together. And it's real simple. They read, they pray, and they talk about what God is doing in their lives using questions that John Wesley developed some 250 years ago. How is it with your soul? What are your struggles and what are your successes? And how might the Scriptures... and and the Spirit be speaking into your life. And the feedback that we are getting reveals the power of God to to bring this kind of life transformation through these small groups. And we've discovered that people who've been sitting on the sidelines the last couple years are are jumping in, that they have found their their spiritual life, those who are plateauing are are growing again. That those who, who gave up thinking that life could ever be different, that they could ever change, are changing. And if you want to try one out, um, let me know. I would love to help you get connected in one of these bands. For me, I have to daily decide to leave my broken mind behind and to allow God to, to give me this new attitude. Because what I've discovered is this, that I, I get used to the lies. <laughs> I start to get comfortable with them. The truth is that some of these lies, it's scary to think of not living with them. They become such a part of who we are. But they show up in our lives as addictions, as binge eating, as rage, anger, mean-spirited gossip, overworking. I mean, you fill in the blank, whatever it might be for you. And when we begin to believe these lies, we begin to search for ways to comfort ourselves and to escape the, the pain they bring us. But if we are willing, God will do a new work in each of us. The truth is that God wants to help you even more than you want help. But he will not do it without your consent. And you cannot do it without his help. A lot of us, we just don't want to deal with it. Some of us, we've been struggling with the same thing for 30, 40, or, or 50 years, and we just tell ourselves, well, I can't change now, it's too late but that's a lie. In his book The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, he describes a young man who is tormented by a red lizard that sits on his shoulder and mocks him. And for Lewis, this lizard represents the indwelling power of sin that we all struggle with. And, and, And an angel comes to him and promises to get rid of this red lizard. And the man, for the moment, takes great joy in that. He is thrilled. You mean you mean I can be free from this thing? But then he becomes frightened when he realizes that the way that the angel will get rid of it is to kill it, to kill the lizard. And he begins to realize the implications. And so he says to the angel, maybe you don't have to kill it. Maybe we don't have to get rid of this thing entirely. Can't we just do it another time? But your angel says to him In this moment are all moments. Either you want the lizard gone or you do not. And the lizard, recognizing the implications, And seeing the hesitation of the young man begins to mock and to plead at the same time. He says, be careful, he can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. The angel asks him again, may I have your permission? And the man nods his head, yes. But he says, this will kill me. And the angel says, no, it won't kill you but even if it does, so what? And the angel grabs the lizard and with one hand he squashes it, he breaks its back and he lets it drop on the ground. But when it hits the ground, suddenly it's transformed of all things into this beautiful stallion and the young man gets on it and he rides to the city of God. And here's the point that Lewis is making. What had been the ruler is now ruled. What had once been his master, he now masters. And what had ridden him, he now rides. What do we need to master today? Do you know what it is? And what good thing might happen if you gave the Lord permission to kill your red lizard. Let's pray. God, you have made a promise in your word that we can have a a new way of thinking. We can have a, a new mindset, a new attitude. God, we want that. But we also confess, Lord, that for too long we have tolerated the lies and we've put up with them and we've grown accustomed, accustomed to them. And the thought of changing, Lord, is scary. And so, Lord, give us uh, the power, give us the courage today to acknowledge these things, to repent, and fill us afresh, we pray, with the power of your Holy Spirit. For whence comes all good change, And help us to live in that power. Help us to live in the freedom that you and you alone can give, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.